Genesis chapter 3. I want to encourage you to turn with me back to Genesis chapter 3. We were in Genesis chapter 3 last week talking about the fall and talking about the temptation of sin. We've been looking at some of these different foundational truths that Genesis 1 through 11 shows us. And if you talk, remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about the sovereignty of God and how that's a foundational truth that governs our Christian life. We talked about this, the temptation of sin and how that is something that is foundational in what we see ourselves in relation to God. And uh, so tonight we're going to continue in Genesis chapter 3. But before I do that, I just... I, and this may be more rhetorical than anything else, but have you ever thought about what is worse than being lost? Me. I know us men, we never get lost, but sometimes, you know, the ladies seem like they lose their sense of direction. But, I mean, whether you're talking about lost spiritually, whether you're talking about lost directionally, whether you're talking about lost in just where you're headed in life, what is worse than being lost? I heard one person one time, Said the what is it, what the work being being lost is bad, but what is worse than being lost is being lost with no one looking for you. And the connection he was trying to make was is that the idea of being lost when no one is seeking after you is worse than being lost to begin with. I think about that here in Genesis chapter 3. Last week we saw the entrance of sin into God's creation. Adam and Eve had sinned against God. God punished them for their sin. And so in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14 down through verse 19, you see God handing out His punishment against uh, the people. It says, the serpent, he will then move on his belly. That's verse 14. He said to Eve uh, there in verse 16 that she will have pain in childbirth. Also, um, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but she will have enmity with her husband. Her desire will be contrary to his. And Adam, um, he is looking there at Adam in verse 17 and 18 and says, Adam, you will toil to provide for yourself and for your household. It will not be given to you. You will have to work. You will have to sweat. You will have to labor to provide. Also, there was uh, implied here, verse 19, that there will be a physical death as well as there will be enmity between Adam and mankind. So, one of the occurring, reoccurring themes is that there's enmity. There's enmity between Satan and mankind. There's enmity between the man and the woman, between the man and mankind. And so because of this sin and this fallenness that is now entering into the world, there is punishment. And not just that, but then if you go down there in verse 22, all the way down through verse 24, he, God even says, well, since they have become, or behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So then it says in verse 23, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He, uh, he drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden and he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So not only was the punishment on man, woman, and the serpent. But then, collectively, for both Adam and Eve, they were then cast out of the garden. And if you look back up to verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Bible scholars will point to this this is the first time you see animals sacrificed for the wrongdoing of man. Now, it wasn't the same sacrificial system as you think to the Old Testament, but because of their nakedness, because they knew they were naked and the fig leaves were just going to uh, wither away, God killed animals and prepared these skins as clothing for Adam and Eve. So you think about Adam and Eve for the first time in their life, they're walking around 
and a leather jacket, leather pants. And it's a constant reminder of the price of sin. Some people come to that and look and say, oh, see, so God clothed Adam and Eve. But can you imagine Adam and Eve every day, they're walking around, and when they look at themselves or when they look at one another, they realize that the reason why you're wearing that is because of our sin. Sometimes it is easy for us to fall into a state of hopeless gloom. I have no way of knowing how Adam and Eve felt. But I do know that what the Bible tells us is they once had a relationship and fellowship with God and that has now been fractured. They once had an innocence that was pervasive in their life that is now gone. Cast out of the garden, separated from God, walking around wearing a daily reminder that they have sinned. You know, if you look at the state of the politics that we are living in, the state of our government, the state of our culture, the state of our homes, even the state of our churches, it is sometimes easier for us to assume the worst than to have hope for something better. Sometimes you and I can look around and go, oh man, this is just terrible. Oh, it's just devolving. Oh, could it get any worse? And sometimes we forget to have hope. So... About five or ten minutes is what I want to take of your time. I want you to t- I want to talk to you about the redemption of God. Because right here in Genesis 3 and verse 15, we see this first glimpse of the redemption of God. So we talked about the sovereignty of God. We talked about the temptation of sin. But as Adam and Eve, as mankind sinned, and Romans 5 reminds us that as sin entered to Adam, all men have now sinned. Even right here, we get this glimpse of hope. We get this glimmer of hope because of the redemption of God to come. Now we think about God that being sovereign, which means He's omniscient, which means He knows all, all past, present, and future, which means that even in the garden, God knew what He was going to do. He knew how many days it was going to take for Him to do it. He knew what He was going to do, even as He's talking to Adam and Eve. So if you look there in verse 15, He's talking to the serpent. And God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. And then he makes this statement. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Two phrases here in my English Standard Version translation of the Bible. Just that two phrases in that line, scholars have taken to call the proto-evangelium. Proto being the prefix for first. Evangelium is the word for the announcement of the gospel. Or, or the, the, yeah, the announcement of the gospel. In other words, they would say that this is the first time we see in Scripture that God reveals His redemption plan for mankind. Because they say, and I agree with them, that He comes in, He's looking at the, the serpent, and He is saying, you will, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. In other words, you may crucify, you may see Him crucify, And you may think that you might have won in watching him being put in a grave, but ultimately he will have victory over you. He's looking at Eve and saying, one day the offspring of the woman will defeat Satan. I thought this would be a good time to have on the TV the... Carmen song called The Champion. I don't know if y'all remember that. Called The Champion. And and so I looked it up on YouTube and it's like an eight minute long video and it's like a two minute intro and it's just kind of old and there's a bunch of 
dated art. Because <laughs> it's not really a music video. It's like somebody took the music and put it with a bunch of still photos on there. So, uh, But some of you may need to go home and Google it and listen to it. But it talks about the champion. And in the champion, it talk, Carmen is singing about this battle between Satan and Jesus. And how Satan thought he had beat Jesus until the third day. Until the day of resurrection. And I think sometimes you and I assume that Satan already knew that Christ was going to rise from the grave. But Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan had no way to know what the future held. I don't know what Satan knew or didn't know, and I really don't care to ask him. But, as we are reading this thousands of years later, we know that Jesus died, was put in the grave, and was rose from the grave. But at the same time, they had no idea. Here a while back, Mo put me the movie Risen. And in that movie Risen, it's not necessarily a a page-by-page biblical account. It's more of a perspective from the Roman soldier. And in there, it talks about how when the the disciples laid him in the tomb, and there was so much panic, and there was so much unknown that was going on. And it's, it's impossible for you and I to put ourselves in that position to experience what they felt like. But God is promising Satan right here in this verse, in verse 15, He says... You might bruise the heel of the Son of Man, but the Son of Man will eventually bruise your head. Right here, God is revealing His plan of redemption. And the story of redemption, even though it begins in Genesis 3, it doesn't end there, but it flows throughout the entire Old Testament. So, take your Bible and turn to the right and go to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7. Let me just point these out to you. In a few moments, I just want you to turn there. I want you to see Him. Because so often, sometimes we forget that God has foretold what He is doing. He has foretold us what is going to take place. So in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, through the prophet Isaiah, He talks about the coming, this coming Savior, this coming King of Kings. He says there in verse 14, He says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Look just over the page of chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah continues on and he says, For us, for to us a child is born, to us a son, or to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Isaiah is reminding us that this redemption plan that God has set in motion all the way back in Genesis 3 and verse 5 is not necessarily because of the creation. It's because of the people that God had created needed a redeemer. And God was putting into plan how He was going to send a redeemer to redeem His people from the curse of sin. You keep going to the right to Zechariah. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Go to Zechariah chapter 9. And in verse 9, we see another prophetic explanation that Zechariah gives us about this coming king, this coming redeemer over the face of the earth. Zechariah 9 and verse 9, he says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I can't listen to it in public, but the Gaithers do their version of the king is coming. 
And that volume turns up and it goes up and it goes up. And you listen to that crescendo and you listen to that power when they just break out. The King is coming and you start to think. And I get to see that. Either I'll get to see it from this perspective or I'll get to see it from a heavenly perspective. But I will get to see that. Blessing it must be to know that we have hope. I realize that we have sin, and I realize there is darkness, and I realize there's despair. And you and I may look around and go, What in the world is going to happen next? Can it get any worse? I want to remind you that there is hope because God has put a redemption plan in place that is still wait to be fully fulfilled. Go to Zechariah and then keep going to the right and go to Malachi. The next book over to your right in Malachi chapter 4. He's going to talk about this day of the Lord. Now when I think about the day of the Lord, I am thinking about the day the Lord returns. Now I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm not talking about uh, the, the death of yourself. I'm talking about the day of the Lord when Christ returns to this earth. It says in chapter 4 and verse 1, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all of you do will be stubble. That day... That is coming shall be shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. He reminds us that this redemption plan, this redemption story is happening. Not only did redemption take place when God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, in the manger, but the redemption is still taking place as He he has given us the Holy Spirit and as we are living during this church age. Keep going to the right and go to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, we see where the New Testament, we talk about the Old Testament, giving us these pictures of redemption, and that is not an exhaustive list. That's just a snapshot, if you will. But the New Testament begins to announce the appearing of the Christ. And in chapter 2 and in verse 10, it gives us this imagery of the angels speaking to the shepherds. Toby, for the next few weeks, is going to be, um, as he's teaching the youth Sunday school class during um, this time right now, he's going to be going through um, the Chosen series. I don't know how many of you are familiar, but the Chosen is a TV series. I think there's about eight episodes, and they're planning on doing multiple series. Um, But he's got the DVDs, and the plan is, is that he's going to take an episode watch it during one session of Sunday school and then the next Sunday they're going to come back and they're going to talk about what was biblically faithful and what wasn't. It's, it's much written from the perspective like risen. It's not meant to be uh, verse by verse. It's meant to be uh, more of let's explore some of these ideas. And one of the episodes it shows this picture of how the angels delivered the message to the shepherds. And I thought it was so interesting because I don't know about you, but sometimes I got these ideas in my head of what things were just because that's what I've always learned in Sunday school. So I assume that's what it was. You ask me what Moses looks like. I'm going to tell you Moses looks just like Charleston Heston. That's what Moses looks like. How did God write on the tablets of the Ten Commandments? He came down there and there was lightning that came down that, that inscribed. I don't. The Bible doesn't say that he did lightning. I mean, so it's one of those things that I just, I've always assumed. So, so I'm watching because Toby lent us the DVD so I could watch the first season. And so I'm watching this and just the way he was bread raid was something that I just hadn't thought about. 
how Mary and Joseph, so they came into Bethlehem, the shepherds were there. This one particular shepherd showed mercy upon Joseph and Mary when they were coming into town. That shepherd was later out in the field when the angels appeared. Then he was the one that ran back with the other shepherds back to the manger. And when he was there, Mary and Joseph recognized him as being one of the ones that showed mercy. And so he got to hold baby Jesus. And I thought, now the Bible doesn't say that's what happened. And, and Toby's not going to present it as, well, this is what happened. He's just going to say, this is one visual account, and then we're less compare it to what the Bible has to say to understand how we reconcile it. But it's one of those things that you ideas in your head are like, I'm not saying it did happen, but how cool it is to think of those connections. So right here in chapter 2 and verse 10, listen to what the angels say to the shepherds. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But notice the language there in verse 7. It says, the angel says, For unto you is born. So many times we miss that God's redemption plan is for every person. It's for us. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, for us. Not just for the Baptists, not just for the Methodists, not just for the Lutherans, not just for the Episcopals. He sent it for each person that God created. This redemption plan that God has set in motion when He sent the Christ, the Son of God, it was not just for a select group of people, not just for a clique, not just for one uh, demographic. He sent them to us. And God has set in motion the means by which you might be redeemed and the ways by which you might live redeemed today. And the New Testament not only begins with announcing the appearing of the Christ, but then it continues with this promise of the day to come. So as the Gospels conclude, we have this picture that Christ has come, the price has been paid, the penalty has been met, forgiveness is now available. Those who believe by faith might know that their sins are forgiven and they have eternal salvation with Christ in heaven. But then the Bible continues to talk about this day to come. So you go over to 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 and verse 16. Paul is writing to the church there in Thessalonica and I know that David is going to be, I think, teaching through the letter of 1 Thessalonians on the Sunday morning Sunday school, but right here in just this snippet, he reminds us of this day to come. So sometimes we think of redemption as just being a point of salvation. I'm saved. That's all I need to know. That's all I need to worry about. But we understand that redemption did not stop when you were saved. Because the redemption carries on to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and enabling you through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a faithful Christian life. And that redemption continues by God making it possible for us to be obedient and to serve God, to serve other people. This redemption story did not just end with a moment or a prayer or a baptism. It is the redemption of making it possible for us to live in right fellowship and relationship with God. And the way we do that is we have this promise, this hope of the day to come. First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, this is what Paul writes. He says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will all 
always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. He reminds us that this day is coming. This time is coming when that archangel will sound, when the trumpet will sound, when Christ will appear in the clouds and we will meet our Lord in the air. I realize that you might struggle being optimistic about the times in which we're living. I get it. And I'm not saying you got to be happy about it. But praise be to God, we can hope and look for something better to come. And it doesn't matter what they're doing in D.C. It doesn't matter what they're doing in Oklahoma City. It doesn't matter what they're doing in the halls of Congress. We can sit here tonight and having hope, not because of what we have done, but because what God has done for us and what God is still doing for us. Last place, Hebrews chapter 10, and then we'll I, I, I'll bring this to a close. But Hebrews chapter 10, there's one more passage I want to point you to, how God is promising this day to come. Hebrews chapter 10, I love this passage. People that talk about not showing up for church, laying out of church, putting everything else before church. Church isn't important. Church doesn't matter. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I love being able to say, well, help me understand how you read this verse. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us, us, this, this idea, this, this plural possessive pronoun, if you will, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Then I think in some of your translations, if it's like mine, the word day is capitalized. The reason why the word day is capitalized is it's signifying not just a regular old, regular standard Monday. The day, the day of the Lord, the day that the Lord returns, this time is coming, this day is drawing near. Mo, I've heard him say multiple times in the class on Sunday mornings when it comes to the revelation, we do not know how many hours and days and minutes and seconds we have, but we do know we have less time now than we did when you walked in here. Amen. We, we may not have any idea when God's going to do it. Sometimes we like to say, well, I think it's going to happen in my lifetime. I bet you were not the first ones to say that. (laughs) (laughs) And we all like to look around and say, oh my goodness, oh oh my, it it can't get any worse. And then, give it five years. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't even take that long. I mean, just give it a little time and then it seems like things continue to decay, things continue to devolve, things continue to get worse. But no matter what happens in this world, we're not looking with our hope in this world. Because we have our hope in a day that is to come. So the Bible is replete with promises and signs that point to the redemption of God that waits for all believers. And this redemption is redemption from the curse of sin, redemption from the penalty of sin, redemption of creation back to Himself, and the redemption for all who believe. So you go back to Genesis chapter 3 and you see the beginning point where God says, this is my redemption plan. Now He doesn't lay it out exhaustively, but He gives us a picture that we can see echoed throughout the rest of Scripture that God isn't going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us 
alone, to our own devices, to fend for ourselves. That God has set in plan a way to redeem His people. So you may say, why does this matter? Why is that a foundational truth for our lives? Just a few ideas and then we'll be done. First one is that we're not without hope for tomorrow. You wonder, what am I going to do tomorrow? Is there any good thing that can happen tomorrow? You never know what tomorrow may bring. I think David talked about that this morning in his Sunday school class. About how often do we actually wake up thinking that today might be the day. I am probably just... I'm probably worse than any of you as far as being neglectful or, or, or being ignorant of, of waking up and having that thought. Oh, today could be the day. I get up and I think, today's another day. You look at the, you look at the weather forecast and you're looking and going, these days aren't going to be as good as the days in July. But today is just going to be a day. But he reminds us that, that no matter what happens, we are never without hope for tomorrow. Because every single day that we lay our head down to the end of the day, we have no idea. We may go to bed thinking, tomorrow could be the day. The second reason I think this matters is, is that our present redemption should be evident in our hope and faith today. So this picture that if... You are here tonight and you know that you have been saved. You have been forgiven of your sins. You know that you have had that eternal security put on your account. That should be evident. That should be evident in our hope. That should be evident in our attitudes. That should be evident in our faith. That should be evident in the way that we live our lives because we know the Democrats don't get the last say. The Republicans don't get the last say. Congress doesn't get the last say. Cancer doesn't get the last say. Accidents. Rebellious children. Broken marriages. Trouble at work. Jerk-faced bosses. Stubborn kids. None of that. They do not they do not get the final say. We can have hope in tomorrow because we know that no matter what happens in this life, there's another life that's coming that we don't give any comparison or understanding for. And this is the last one. Going back to the original question about being lost. This good news, the news of the redemption of Christ, the gospel message that we call the good news, it's only good news if it gets there in time. It's only good news if it gets there in time. And you may say, well, Spence, that's not exactly correct. It's good news whether it gets there in time or not. But I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. If you're a lost person that you've never heard about Jesus Christ, or if you're a lost person and you're living a hopeless, helpless life, and you're not sure what to do, and somebody has something they can share with you, some type of hope, some type of help, some type of a message from Jesus Christ that they can share with you, it only helps you and only spurs you along if it gets there before it's too late. And that's why there's so much work trying to be done with the unreached people groups. You have places like the Joshua Project. And every single day, the Joshua Project shows you an unreached people group. I I don't remember the exact website name, but you can look up the Joshua Project. And every single day, they have a specific unreached people group that they're highlighting and saying, this is the name of the people group. This is how many people are unreached. This is how many percentage are evangelical or whatever religion. And this is why we need to be praying for them. Because there are... Billions of people in this world that don't even have a Bible in a language in which they can read. 
It's only good news if it gets there in time. The story of redemption is all throughout the pages of Scripture. But the story of redemption is meant to be shared with those that need to hear it. So I think it's a foundational truth when we think about the redemption of God because we realize the only hope that you and I have for being here even tonight is the fact that God promised, even back in the garden, that Satan would not have the final say. That sin would not have to be the final word. But there would be hope and there would be help in the redemption of God.